Welcome to the Difference Makers podcast presented by Waterproof. I'm your host, Justin Tamani. In this podcast, you'll hear from some of the top coaches, brand managers, and athletes on earth. From starting out to where they are now, we'll explore the journey of how they became a difference maker. Before we keep going, do us a favor, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to hear more from the Difference Makers. All right, we are live. Welcome to the Difference Makers podcast presented by Wadproof. Today we have with us John Singleton, who's the head coach of the program, training program. He's coach to two of the fittest women on earth, Jacqueline Dahlstrom and Gabrielle Magala. And over the past few years, he's taken over 30 athletes to the CrossFit Games, including teens, masters, and individuals. So welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much for having me, Justin. So tell me a little bit about your past. We've got a pretty good list of athletes that you've taken to the games over the years. How did you get started within the CrossFit space? So when when I first started, it, it's uh, a long time ago now. I don't like to think that far back, but it's like in uh, 2007, 2008. And uh, I was doing my master's degree in London. Okay. And, and the CrossFit world back then was very different. You know, it was, uh, there was literally one box in London that was uh, from where we were studying was quite far away. So it's basically me and a friend uh, would go to a park with a kettlebell run around the park and then do some kettlebell swings. And that was, that was kind of yeah. what it was. <laughs> and then, you know, the competitions back then, uh, I, I kind of got involved as, as wanting to be a competitor. That's where, that's where I was. And, yeah. um, and basically the competitions were like held in car parks. They were, you know, they were very old school. And I remember saying to my friend, actually, like, you know, this CrossFit thing's never going to take on, you know, I was yeah. about the growth. And, uh, and I think when Reebok came on board, you know, you had that, it was like a stark change, you know, things just like shot forward and move forward. So that, that was kind of like when I started, like, you know, I suppose like 13, 14 years ago, somewhere around that time. And wow. uh, yeah, so it's seen like, you know, it's, it's been fun being involved in the evolution of the sport since then as well. Yeah, so 2008, 2009, you've been around since like pretty much the beginning. Yeah, well, it's especially beginnings in Europe, you know, like, yeah. um, you know, watching the the games and the old school documentaries, that was like, uh, you know, following CrossFit Journal and, and all these things. Yeah, there was definitely very much a movement at that time that, uh, that was fun to be a part of. Definitely was. I don't think, so I've been involved since about 2011, so a little bit later than that, and just even the evolution since then is incredible. Yeah, it, it, you don't. I think I don't realize there was um, there was a competition we went to, and it had a, had an event with like burpees over the wall. Yeah, and it was an old, like kind of similar to an old games event. And I went back and watched some of the old games uh, videos, and, and I think you know to really appreciate the evolution, like put the you know the two thousand eight two thousand nine games, and then just see the difference in the athletes compared to now. And it really, that's, that's very eye-opening. The, you know, the way that they move, the way they form gymnastics, the conditioning capacity that they have, you know, that everything has got significantly better. Oh, significantly better. Now, yeah. this is just a funny thought, but do you think that any of the athletes who participated in the 2020 games could just go back and win? You, you, you take them out, you transplant them into 2009 even? You think they could just pick up and win? Yeah, I mean, I would say that's uh, 
Yes, I mean you've got a you'd fancy that anyone in the anyone competing in the games this year could have probably won through those those years. I mean, you know, there's always the classic video like of Jason Kalipa doing doing Isabel, you know, like with the sixty kilo yeah. snatches and and struggling with with ring muscle you know, which is just you know he's he's obviously in that time was was the best athlete in the world. You know, he's yeah. won the games, and so and to transfer that across to now, you know, like it's just night and day um, comparison. Absolutely. So now your your program, the program. You guys, when did you start the program, and and what spurred the start of that? So the program started in around I think like 2015, something like that. And okay. basically, we were working with uh, small groups of athletes, and they started to do very well at competition. And so we wanted to put something together that was you know, kind of a name for what we were doing. And yep. uh, I was working with a lot of Icelandic athletes at the time. And so that we had this idea of, it, it kind of refers back to the old school days of CrossFit with Mikko's uh, Sisu. Yep. There's like kind of an Icelandic word called Elmur, which is very um, similar meaning Sisu. So we wanted to call the program Elmur. And I'd be going around and going, oh, you know, we're thinking of releasing this program called Elmur. And everyone would be like, Elmer what? No, yeah. no one understood the word. No. So the, the program just stuck. And um, and then we were, okay, well, okay, well, we need Instagram. And so then we tried to find the program on Instagram and there was no uh, the program available. So we just took away the A. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that, that kind of uh, that stuck since then. So that was in 2015. And in essence, it was just like, it kind of became a bit of a, a name for what we were doing back then. Yeah. And uh, and since has grown, you know, our focus at the start was uh, was with elite athletes, and since we've we've incorporated more coaches, we we work a lot uh, more broadly now. It's kind of the whole CrossFit spectrum of athletes. Awesome, yeah. You're, I mean, that's kind of the natural evolution. I think of a lot of these programs is they don't just stay within the elite. Elite starts to branch off when people start to become interested and. They like to you know, follow along the athletes that you're working with and they see what they're achieving and they want to achieve similar things. So then they start to find programs like yourself. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Like we had, uh, you know, as we, as we started with just one program for elite athletes, you know, a lot of people wanted to kind of be involved in the journey of the athletes as well and follow along. Yeah. But obviously the elite programming is, um, is not for everyone. And so, no. We, we needed options that allowed people to join in. Like, you know, like myself, I still love training. I still love, you know, staying healthy, staying fit. And I'm nowhere near the capacity that I, that I once was. And so, you know, realized to me as well, you know, we, we have like something called the Program 60 now, which is for, you know, 60 minutes of work. Yep. Right. You kind of follow along, get the same feeling of the, the journey of the athletes, but you know, you're not in the gym all day having to do complex movements, lift heavy weights, etc. So evolution from that. Yeah. That I think that evolution too helps with making people involved with the program and, and being able to engage with what you're doing, no matter yeah. what their experience level. Yeah, exactly. You know, we have a we have our own style, we have our own own thought processes, and so it, it does allow people to kind of be involved in the community in that way by doing what you know what we believe is the right way to to do things. Yeah. 
what are some of your challenges that you you have with coaching athletes or so many athletes remotely? Yeah, uh, so I um, a few years ago I made a switch to just working with like uh, just working with kind of in person athletes. So I live okay. in um, in Mallorca, Spain. Okay. And and the reason was, you know, I, I wasn't doing a good enough job online. So you know, I'm just better in person. Yeah. So for kind of communicating and speaking with the athletes, so we brought on like a layer, uh, kind of a tier of uh, coaches online who work with our, our athletes as well, and then the athletes who live in Mallorca, mm -hmm. I then uh, will coach. Okay. So I actually reduced quite a lot the number of athletes that I would I would coach and um, directly, and just started to work in person with them. And then I've been lucky enough that we have a great team of of coaches that then can kind of manage the uh, the athletes online as well awesome so when you say the coaches are sorry you coaching athletes directly in person um does that include Jacqueline and Gabby because I know you guys did a a farm training camp leading up to the games in 2020 yeah so it, does that include those girls or exactly so currently we have um so the season might change uh, a little bit. In essence, we have Jack and Gabby and um, Gabby's boyfriend, Christoph, uh, living yep. here. And yep. so those three athletes are the three athletes that I'm, I'm currently coaching. And then I, I assist with, we, we, we actually had 15 athletes qualify for the semifinals this year. Awesome. And then I work with our other coaches to, to, to have a more of an overview role, um, but they, the other coaches can be more involved and give more direct feedback. So it means that I can be a part of the journey, but you know, I, I'm not necessarily the person that's there every day. Um, yeah. Working through that. But yeah, so the th we have the three athletes who, who made the move to live here. Uh, through. And yeah, you know, you say, you know, during lockdown, uh, Spain was quite, um, at the start, Spain was quite hard hit and they went very strict um, in terms of what we were allowed to do. So we, we literally, you couldn't go to a gym. There was no option for that. So, we're lucky enough that the the gym where we train in C23, they they lent us some equipment, and and Jack and I live on a farm, so we made the farm into. Uh, I, I I loved it, you know. It's the type of training that um, yeah that I really enjoy. So you know, it was kind of perfect for uh, for me and the style of, of training that we we typically enjoy. So it, it was good fun. That's awesome. So the farm. So you guys just I guess just brought everybody there. You guys did your training camp there. It, exactly, you know, it, it became, you know, so when they first announced the lockdown, they're like, hey, two weeks. And, you know, then every yeah. two weeks, they go on yeah. and on and on. And so yeah. we end up being there for months. <laughs> like uh, yeah. a two-week training camp turned into months of, uh, of months-long training camp. And, and this is, that kind of reflected the, the season. You, the, the goal, the hurdle always moved. Because yeah. you never knew what was happening. So you always had to adapt. You always had to change. And, you know, you, you mentally prepared for two weeks. Then it was another two weeks. And then you kind of go, well, okay, this is taking longer. And then you kind of go for months. And now we're in the term where we're kind of moving into COVID affecting things for at least a couple of years now. Yeah. No, it definitely is. And right now in Spain, everything's kind of loosened back up for you guys a little bit. Or where, where are you guys at with everything right now? Yeah, so on the, uh, on the, we live on a small island, and so that's meant that it's been easy for to control the spread of COVID. Yeah. The big thing is the island relies on tourism, and so mm. um, if tourists can't come in, not much money 
comes into the island. Yeah. And so they've been playing with this balance between allowing tourists in and just keeping the island functioning and running as it is. But but we've been lucky to live in a small place during this time. Yeah. I'm in a similar position to you where I'm on a, it's on a small island, but it's an island. So it's a Where little bit, I'm in uh, Victoria, BC. Okay, nice. On the West Coast. So I get to be near some of the, uh, some of the great Canadian athletes. Uh, Patrick Vellner's on the island. Adam Davidson's on the island. So okay. I got to be with them while they did their quarterfinals and their semifinals. And Emily Rolfe lives really close. So she was here as well. So that was a pretty cool experience to see those three athletes do the semifinals and the quarterfinals together. Yeah, I know. I imagine it's quite a beautiful place. It's somewhere I've always wanted to go. Hey, you're always <laughs> welcome. Come on out. We got some great gyms here. Um, yeah, so you're a team that, that you brought to the games this year. Um, you had, like I said, Jackie and Gabby, both competing as individual w- women. Do you find it difficult to coach both simultaneously? when they're competing against each other or in the same events at the same time, how do you balance that? It's, um, it's a very good question and something that I think is a, an evolving process. It's an interesting thing because I truly believe that when the athletes are training together, they help one another to get to a further level. So I think that this kind of group training is crucial. Yeah. Obviously, uh, individual athletes are very competitive. And so you have this dynamic where everyone wants to, to win. And so it's been like an evolution process, you know, of understanding that, you know, training's training and competing's competing. I think I'm quite good at um, being able to separate the, um, you know, for, for me, I want both athletes to do their best. And I, that's my mindset going in. It's like, you know, when you get onto the competition floor, you perform to the best of your abilities. And then the result is the, the result. So, Aside from the, the physical development, we, we have had to, um, together as a group, both me as a, a coach and the athletes in of themselves, have had to kind of develop and evolve to, to have a bigger mindset and, uh, and a mindset of more kind of abundance and growth rather than just be narrowly focused on just me doing my own thing. It's like, how can I use this um, environment to my advantage? Yeah. Awesome. Definitely. Definitely an interesting thing that you said there, training versus competing. Mm. When That's always something that sticks in my mind in the CrossFit space of like preparing your athletes to compete through their training and not have them competing every day, especially when they're at high levels like that. How do you balance that dynamic out with your athletes? So it's an interesting interesting debate because in the training, you know, depending obviously on the type of training, but it's very important that the athletes kind of reach those thresholds and push hard. Yeah. And I actually think it's more the mental drain of the competition um, that's the kind of difference. So the, the training intensity, you know, sometimes we do want to reach the, a similar level that we will be in competition, but we don't necessarily want that mental drain and that, that hyper-focus of the, of the competition setting because that can be very intense, very, very uh, yeah. stressful, you know. If, if we, the athletes were to do those 15 events at the gym, how they feel afterwards would probably feel very different, even though they reach the same, um, the same scores. Just because, like, standing next to the athletes, having the cameras on you, all these um, perceived pressures. 
And so I think it's managing that uh, that mental strain of the constantly feeling like you're competing becomes very important. It's understanding that actually, you know, I'm, now I'm training to better myself even though I'm pushing. I'm not competing against the person next to me. And I, yeah. I'm using kind of that group environment to my, my own advantage. That's And we're starting to see, I think, a lot of that with these training camps starting to pop up within the CrossFit space. With Yeah, you know, I think it's something that, that we have worked towards. And now we're starting to see, like, lots of groups. You know, obviously you have, like, um, Comp Train, Proven, Training Think Tank. You know, these these groups of athletes starting to, to come together and, and move as a group. And I truly, you know, that's that's the reason that we've worked towards this and wanted this to happen is because I do believe that um, the athletes who are involved in this group become stronger because they do have like support and there's constant motion going forward. So, you know, you will obviously see these outliers who are able to do things um, by themselves. I I think the male division always uh, highlighted that, you know, know, they had like Froning and Fraser who, who are very independent standalone athletes. And so they kind of set a trend of doing things by yourself and being very independent yeah, I do believe for for the majority of athletes that this kind of group environment can be very beneficial to to kind of exploring the true potential of the athlete. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that the male versus the female. You, you are right. Like looking back, I think at about the top five male versus the top five female. I think the top five males were all people who trained individually just by themselves. They don't really have a training camp that they train with regularly yeah where in the top five females there's more that are part of the training camp yeah you know i mean if you look if you look back through it you had like froning graham holmberg ben smith matt fraser as kind of the champions and and all of those have really been independent athletes you know they i i believe they've always had like support from from coaches but Really, when you speak to them or follow the story, they, they always like the independent route that they've, they've yeah. worked out. But then in, in the female world, you've you very much had um, had more um, coaching presence for the, for the female athletes. Right. And do you take that into consideration as a coach yourself? Yeah, I think it's interesting. So my, my kind of take on it now is that if an athlete wants to get to the best level of uh, the sport and they don't have a support team, which, you know, should really involve some kind of coaching um, figure, then they're really not optimizing things. You know, it's like you're having to organize everything yourself just from a logistics standpoint, you know, it's like having someone there to, you know, support you, make sure you're eating or, or make, or have an overview of your training, make sure that you are doing things you should do. is so crucial. And, um, and I think the sport's got to that stage now where that support team is kind of needed for you to, um, to, to, to be your best. Right on. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there is that need for that support. So thinking of kind of the next generation of athletes that are up and coming, would, what type of advice would you give them if they want to kind of break through from being, you know, your kind of topper you know, somebody who's ready to kind of make a step towards a higher level of fitness. So I think it's very, so the biggest thing I think for the younger generation is finding consistency. So if you can be consistent through, 
And then really, you know, actually taking a bit of a step back and identifying, you know, why am I doing this? You know, why do I want to compete? Why do I want to go to the CrossFit Games? You know, why do I want to be the best athlete I can be? Kind of using that why and identifying that understanding of moving forward is very important because that's then going to allow the consistency to happen. Because, you know, it, ultimately it might take a few years to get there. And when you're 18, you know, three years seems like a, a lifetime away. Whereas, you know, as you get older, those three years <laughs> start accelerating a lot quicker. Yeah. So I think that if the if the younger generation you know, really identify why am I doing this um, and identify those reasons, and, and if they are strong, like a strong why, that will really help you move forward through the consistency and the time over, over what is relatively short period of time, but when you're at that age, seems like a very long time. Yeah, I think that that is hard for them to see is that that preparation or the you know the time it takes from them to get to where they are now to the games maybe a two to five year plan and that doesn't yeah, necessarily yeah. just it's, it's true. something you have to believe in and uh and, and you just can't you know consistency is uh so crucial like i i've mm-hmm. i've been lucky enough to work with you know i, I would say that from teenagers, I've um, I've been able to work with probably some of the most talented teenagers that uh, that you know have potential to win the games. You know, just yeah. crazy talented teens. But the hard thing in that age group is is seeing them through the years. You know, they see their friends partying, they see their friends, um, they go to uni. They, they a lot of them have experienced the games as a teen and don't necessarily have that same drive to experience as an adult. So. You know, ironically, you know, there's that uh, the you know the cliche saying of um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, and and I think it's very true, it's especially in that um, in that teenage group. If you if you can stay consistent in your training and you can have a bit more of a long term focus, then you, you'll be surprised what they're able to achieve, even though some of their peers may be more talented. Definitely, I agree with you there. I think just putting that, like you said, consistency and time within the sport, like, Hey, you just got to work. And I, you know, coming from other sports as well, I've seen some of the most talented athletes on the teams. I come from a baseball background that just given talent, they are the best on the field. And then you see them the moment they step off the field and they're like, they're done. They're just, they don't put that extra work in. They just rely on what they are capable of. And that's often the downfall of a lot of these guys. Yeah. And I think that a lot more talented athletes fall through the cracks in CrossFit because there's not the support network, you know, like if you take yeah. like, a, uh, like a European soccer scenario, mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, you know, kids will be scouted from the age of eight years old, six years old, and they'll work through the ranks. So, you know, if that kid has talent, there's no way the football team is going to let them uh, fall through the cracks. They're going to support them and, and they're going to make sure that they're there, they turn up to training, et cetera. And, and CrossFit just, you know, it, it just doesn't have that same support network. So you then start relying on the families, the friends, and, and it gets extremely hard to maintain uh, that talent within the sport. That's an interesting concept. You're right. There isn't that kind of scouting process to to move these athletes through the sport of CrossFit. But I guess that's also because it's such a 
new sport in the big picture where you know and it's, it's also a funding issue you know like the top 40 you know athletes uh, majority of those athletes top the best 40 athletes in the world a lot of them will have lost money going to the games you know so yeah that's a really tough um, scenario to be in yeah this is still seen as a sport that's used to train for other sports yeah as opposed to being a sport in itself yeah and i guess you know how would you like to see that change for your athletes or athletes within the sport um so i I do think that um it is important you know obviously the sport needs to grow and develop from where it's where it is now that consistent growth needs to happen I think that competitions like Rogue, Dubai, Waterpalooza, you know, these key kind of off-season competitions really help uh, make sure that happens because they start to put a bit more money into the sport that would support those top-level athletes. They get more exposure to different markets. You know, Rogue is obviously very much involved, in, although it had a, um, a very CrossFit roots, you know, now it's open to such a wide audience that that gets exposure into seeing CrossFitters do other things. And I think yeah. you know, the games being on ESPN or the, the channels that it's on, it, th- these things really help um, give athletes exposure and therefore they're able to, to make a living from the sport. You know what I just noticed last night was that ESPN push, uh, put out a post on their Instagram of Annie Thor's daughter hitting that 200-pound snatch from the games this year. But ESPN isn't the broadcaster for the games. Uh, okay. Yeah, so, I, I, I lost track of the uh, – was it, is it CBS? Yeah, year? in North America, it's CBS. Okay. So, But I just thought that was interesting because they're still – they're pushing that content out there, and that's helping to promote the sport. And that was a probably one of the highlight moments for the games this year was just that. Yeah, you know, and it's, uh, it's a great narrative that, you know, and he, mm-hmm. and he comes back after giving birth and is able to compete and place third amongst the, the best in the world. And, and, you know, I think the snatch was, uh, it's like the perfect social media clip to highlight that, you know, it's short, yeah. it shows what's happened. It shows the emotion. Yeah. So it really ticks a lot of boxes um, for promoting the sport in that way. hundred percent. And, it's good to see that that is starting to come back into the fold as opposed to some of the things that have been highlighted by social media about CrossFit in the past. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I think it becomes our job to, to give a positive narrative for the sport as well. You know, ultimately we, we, we help spread the message of the sport. You know, we want the sport to grow. I I don't follow any other sports. I I really just, I, I just follow CrossFit, you know, CrossFit yeah. is, it really becomes your world, you know, like everyone I speak to is somewhat involved in CrossFit, you know, there's like, uh, yeah, it, it, and it's a small world, but it becomes very all encompassing once you're, once you're involved in it. Yeah. You start to see a lot of little things everywhere that are all tied back into the sport and I, I 100% agree with you where there was a point where like my whole world was like, okay, we're going to go to the CrossFit gym. We come home, you know, it's on, it's on Instagram and then we're watching content. A hey, speaking of content, the program's doing a great job of pushing YouTube content out on a regular basis. 
yeah, that was one of the things that we, we really wanted to make a move to, uh, to kind of showcase what we're doing, you know, in, uh, in a bit more long video format. And, and I think we have, we have a fun group and we have a, a fun message that we want to put out there about how we, how we train, how we want to, to get better. So that was one of the big focuses. And we're lucky enough to have um, Alex uh, kind of come out and live with us. So, you know, it's <laughs> probably the most easy thing for a media person to, to join in the journey, you know, like yeah, filming the athletes all day, training, eat, sleeping. And so we're, we're really lucky to have Alex come over. And we've had a, a few other guys helping us, like Josie, to, um, to create some content. Yeah, that change has that. What has that done for your program from a, an engagement standpoint from the community or even from having eyes on your program and having new athletes come in to join the program? Has that have you seen a big uptick in, in engagement with your your the training program itself? Um, so I don't think there's necessarily like um, a direct correlation in terms of, you know, you get lots more views, lots more signups. It doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily happen in that way. Yeah. But I think what it does, it, it allows people to get to know us a bit more and get mm -hmm. to know the, the people behind the program, who you'll be speaking to, uh, the athletes that we have. And so it gives the people that are on board a bit more um, a connection to us in a way. You know, We can reach out to that audience. We can let them know our thoughts, why we're doing stuff how we're doing stuff and and so that connection's created in a in a way that we haven't been able to do before yeah i can i can see that and the nice thing is from north america i never really paid too close of attention to the european athletes in the market so you know going to the games and seeing these high level performances from gabby and jacqueline and then you know, you start to go back and look and watch the, yeah, yeah. some of this content. You're like, Oh, the, the, you know, they're pretty legit. Like from North America though, we don't get that exposure to them because I don't know if everything's very this is focused around here. Uh, we've always struggled with. So a lot of, a lot of information travels from the U S to, uh, to Europe, but actually mm -hmm. very little information travels the opposite way. Yeah. And um, I think it changed. Like, you know, Iceland's obviously had a, a big effect on that. Yes. I think, I think Annie and, and Katrin are both a lot, a lot more um, Americanized than, say, someone like Sarah, who's a lot more European. But on the male side, it's been since Miko Salo, who you know, a lot of people don't remember anymore, it's been dominated yeah. by US guys. Yeah. And on the female side, you've, had, um, you, you've obviously had uh, – here obviously from from australia and then lots of european females who've, who've been at the top but when they typically start to get exposure they become they kind of move to america you know tia being a good example katrin yeah. being a good example so they kind of move into the um the north american fold rather than bringing the attention over to to europe yeah or that's australia. a australia too yeah yeah, because there's so many great athletes. Like if you look at the leaderboard this year, it's not just nine. Know, nine out of the top twenty were European females, which is crazy. Yeah, and uh, you know, European. So back in the day, like European regionals for females was, I mean, it was just yeah. super intense. Like getting through as a female in Europe is no easy feat. It's like uh, 
you really have to fight to get through. Uh, the guys, you know, it's nice to see some of the guys starting to, to push through. And Bjorg Vinib obviously has been like super consistent. Yeah. But the depth of the guys from Europe has not has not been there in the same way. Like the depth of the European females is kind of like, you know, it's just like this, without question the kind of strongest region for the females to come yeah. from. Now, why do you think that might be? Do you think that might be from a strength and conditioning standpoint of sports, like developmental sports, you know, or what the athletes are training for in the developmental years? more football as opposed to American football? Um, so I think it's a cultural aspect that um, in, in Northern Europe, Scandinavian females especially are, uh, you know, they're like the, the female Vikings. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, that, uh, that shows through, like, you know, they're very competitive. They, they don't see themselves as anything less physically than the males. And so that, that cultural aspect transfers very well to the sport of CrossFit where, um, you know, in essence you're doing like, there's no real different, there's no difference in the sport. You know, it's just as exciting to watch the females as it is the males, sometimes more. Sometimes um, and they're, more. Doing, they're doing exactly the same thing, you know, like there's no shortening of the swim kayak for the, for the females. They do exactly the same. You know, the yeah. run to bar is exactly the same. And, you know, you'll get instances of, you know, I mean, to tier B, probably like most of the guys on the field. So yeah, I think that the Scandinavian females are used to that kind of equality a lot more of beating guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I have, I have zero ego about being beaten by females <laughs> now. You know, like I'm, uh, I'm at the point where I will scale the female weights in order to, uh, to yeah. compete with You know, there's, uh, they're just, they're, they're better than me. You know, it's, it's just the way it is. It is the way it is. The evolution of the sport where like the weights that they, the expectation for the male and female have become very impressive. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the weights that these athletes lift is, is just so significant, you know, and, and across most things, this, this year's games, I would say was, you know, it, it was probably biased towards uh, the stronger individuals. Yeah. The way it was. And so, you know, everything as well was kind of coupled with, uh, with something heavy. You know, yeah. that was most of the events kind of favored that, uh, that aspect of things. Now, overall, from a training standpoint, do you think that that's something you can prepare your athletes for better in the future? Or how, do you feel like you've done a good job of preparing for that, where the high skill gymnastics are paired with a heavy implement? So like pig flip and the rope climbs or the heavy deadlifts and the freestanding handstand pushups. Like you had to be good at one to be able to do the other, to even have a chance to do the other. So I think that, you know, we, we actually have one of our core core principles of programming is the kind of Dave Castro effect. Mm-hmm. Like you never know what you're going to be, what you're going to get, you know, one yeah. year, you know, the programming may be heavily biased towards body weight, gymnastics and running. Yep. One year it might be heavily biased to a heavy barbell, and, and you don't know that. No. So we do hold the approach. We don't try and second guess what things are going to be. Um, this year, you know, we had a very short time between semis and games to, to kind of go into the games prep, which typically you know, this year we wouldn't have seen any swimming or longer biking or things like that. So yep. 
the exposure to those events and, and also the odd object. You know, a, a semi-final environment, it's harder to, to be exposed to some kind of odd object. So I think from our standpoint, we could have included more of the the games training if we had known that the athletes are going to qualify but there's no guarantee yeah. you know as we said like european um, what's now semi-finals for females is the hardest so there's no guarantee that they're going to get back it's not a walk in the park so no you need to make sure that they're prepared for that did you find any added challenges that the semi-finals were all online this year yeah. for for europe like what were the added challenges for you and how did you you manage those because you know, there were two European semifinals. Yeah. Did you choose to put your athletes in the same ones, different ones? Like, I guess there's a lot to unpack with that. Uh, yeah, there is a lot to unpack. You know, we had, uh, we had a lot of females in Europe. Um, in, in essence, you know, so as a bit of background, we did not know what's going to be online and what's going to be live. And the weekends were originally yeah. at different times. So, you know, I I tried to, uh, to not interfere in those decisions and kind of laid it out as, you know, what, what would be optimal for you and how would you feel and kind of the athletes let that let that go. Especially with yeah. Jack and Gabby, they're very different athletes, you know. Um, Gabby typically kind of stronger, um, bigger frame, whereas Jack lighter, like body weight um, gymnastics. So the programming affects their performance, uh, you know, the tier yeah. I think is probably the only person in the world who, where programming is irrelevant, she'll still, she'll still win, you know, and yeah. Fraser was the same guy, you know, the programming was irrelevant to Fraser, he still won. Whereas once you move from tier and Fraser, the programming does matter. Um, yes. So, so in essence, they could, you know, choose what they wanted to do for semis. When they announced it was online, it became mm -hmm. a big issue for us because we're in Spain. Yeah. And we know that temperature has a huge effect on performance. So that weekend was like, uh, I don't know in, um, in Fahrenheit, but in certain degrees centigrade, it's like, like 33 to 35 degrees centigrade, which I presume is like 90, 90, Somewhere between 85 and 90, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's hot. Um, and basically we then needed to find a location that the heat wasn't going to be as much of a factor. So that actually meant kind of becoming like an event organizer. And obviously you don't know what the events are because they don't release anything. So you've, yeah. you have lots of contingency plans in place to make sure that uh, the girls could perform. And, and, and so this year, you know, you're not only you're coaching, you're also becoming a, an event organizer at the same time to make sure they have an optimal environment to go through. Yeah. So where did you end up doing the semifinals? Was it in Spain? Yeah, we actually, so we would move to an air conditioned Globo gym. Like luckily okay. uh, I have a very good friend on the island called Javi, who like uh, is the manager at this, uh, it's actually the biggest um, gym in Europe. It's called Megasport. Okay. And they have an air conditioned kind of cross training facility. And so we could go in there, but they didn't have all the right equipment. So, you know, we had to, mm. The ring muscle ups, for example, we had to drill into the wall of this Clobo gym. And, uh, <laughs> it was, it was uh, and it all happened so last minute. So it actually, yeah. it became very stressful. Right? I uh, have no desire to <laughs> to do that again next year. Well, fingers crossed, we don't have to go down that road. Yeah. Um, 
before we wrap it up, uh, how would you, how do you plan your season with regards to training your weaknesses for your athletes and preparing your athletes for the season ahead? You know, we, we don't full, we know a little bit of some of these events that are going to come up and some of these, uh, we'll call it independent events. Are you preparing for those? Do you train to use those to work on weaknesses or how are you planning for your athletes in a season? So this is one of the things with CrossFit, you know, like we um, have been through so many changes. Eventually we started to see a pattern, you know, it's like, okay, open regionals games. And it was all in these similar times. Then all of a sudden, and that wasn't always established, you know, that just became maybe four or five years of consistency. Like, okay, this is how it's going to be. And then CrossFit go, okay, we're taking the Open now to whenever it was, October. And then we're doing this. We're having, like, the national champions. And then we're having, you know, these sanctioned events. And then we're having this. So it's like there's been no consistency in timeline, which has made specific unless you know you're an athlete that is going to like qualify for the games easily it's made the programming uh, for the athletes uh, very challenging or and you have to be very adaptable so the one thing that we are really hoping for is that we get a consistent season meaning that there is now this like same format we know that okay the open's going to start in february great and the games are going to be somewhere towards the end of july and that yeah. allows us to kind of program around the biggest competitions of the year. And then we can use the bigger off-season competitions as like a, a little bit of a testing ground, see that, that the off-season training is going going right. And, you know, it's not necessarily that they have to be in their best shape for those off-season competitions. It's more just a little bit of a uh, approving of, of where they are. And, and the off-season does give you more abilities to work on weaknesses without knowing that you're going to have to perform in one area at 100%, you know, be that an athlete that needs to work on their pulling gymnastics, an athlete that needs to work on their overall strength, wherever they may fall, they do have more of an opportunity to do that in the off season. Yeah. Good. What um, challenges do you see with this kind of upcoming season? What are you guys planning for your athletes or what's the kind of the next step for you guys after seeing the evolution of the games in 2021 what's what's up for the program in 2022 uh so we you know for gabby and jack and the the idea is very much the same to to get that performance at the games and, and look to improve um we also have like um an underlying level of very good athletes that we would like to see maybe some of them break through to to the next stage and then there's also the possibility of looking at a team. In, in 2019, when they had the super team uh, format, we qualified a team for the games. But with all the hassle of COVID and, and moving it back to the Affiliate Cup, we decided not to take that, that route last year. But the question yeah. is, do we, uh, you know, do we now pursue putting a team in the games as well to kind of you know, cover those aspects of having both individual and team? Now, would you like to see the the reintroduction of the super teams, or do you yeah. think we should yeah. see the? I think yeah. everyone, you know, I 
I suppose I, I see the concept of the affiliate cup, but I kind of think that could be done through the open, you know, like have the fittest gym open yeah. participation. Like I, I really don't think you know, the irony of the affiliate cup is it's won by CrossFit Mayhem who puts together a super team each year, you know? So yeah. it's like the whole, the whole ethos of the affiliate cup is defeated because everyone who's there is actually not what well, not everyone but you know people yeah. move all rounds to form super teams mm-hmm. and they're not true affiliate teams it's just they have to come under follow this rule so i kind of think like let's just take away this rule let's let's make it open and, and then it becomes a lot easier to manage you know otherwise we have to have all the athletes move over to Mallorca for six months eight months of the year actually that um to allow that to happen. And that becomes yeah. a big financial stress for everyone involved. Whereas with the super team, you're like, okay, you know, you guys, you have your family, your work, your job, you can stay there and train. We get together. And uh, and the more you get together, obviously the bigger the advantage. So the teams who do train together will still have that advantage, but it allows uh, more excitement, bigger names, etc., to enter into the team department. So uh, I, I personally think the super teams are a great addition and it was sad to see them taken away. I think we had some of the most interesting years of team competition with those super teams being present. Yeah, there was, it was great. Yeah. There was a handful of teams fighting for championship where in the past, you know, with just the affiliate cup, we're only seeing one or two real competitors. Yeah. And you have a lot of superstars of CrossFit who maybe you know, they're, they're, they are the superstars, but maybe not the best performing athletes who fit perfectly into the team environment. And therefore, the fans love it, you know, getting to see the exposure of their, their favorite athletes, the athletes who they follow the journey, who aren't at the games as individuals, who can be there as teams. And that then puts more eyes onto the team competition as well. 100%. Couldn't agree with you more. So, right. so yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happening. I have, <laughs> I have no idea what they're going to do. Who knows? Well, hopefully we see some some good positive changes come. We saw some great things come from 2022 and the evolution to 2021. Or sorry, 2020 to 2021. So hopefully we see another evolution going forward to 2022. Yeah. But on that note, before we wrap up, uh, where can everybody find you? Tell us a little um, bit more. The easiest place. So we, we have lots of kind of uh, media channels going out. The easiest is to look for um, the program without an A um, on Instagram. And uh, we'll come up. You know, we have, as you mentioned, YouTube channel. We have informative newsletters. But uh, but kind of as an easy starting point, just check out the program without an A on Instagram and uh, you can find us there. Awesome. Thanks for your time. Guys, go on, like, subscribe. Uh, We'll have lots more coming from the Difference Makers coming soon. Thanks again, John. Thank you for having me. Every training session introduces a series of questions. Am I happy with my performance? Where could I have gone faster? When will I be ready to go again? For Wadproof Pro athletes, also this question. What can I learn from that workout? With a Wadproof Pro subscription, you gain access to a complete training toolbox. From a full-featured exercise log, to side-by-side comparisons, to the ability to record your heart rate right alongside your rounds and reps. You have at your fingertips everything you need to learn, to make progress, and to go into tomorrow's training more prepared than today's. 
The best athletes are the best students. And with your Wadproof Pro subscription, you will have in your pocket the education you need to elevate your training and uncover the many lessons that every single workout offers you. Subscribe today so you can get better tomorrow.